You're listening to Campfire Conversations, brought to you by Three Rivers Land Trust. Connected to the land, committed to conservation. Hey, any of you boys, Smithies? So with having this new upgraded equipment that we have and trying to produce a quality show, we're struggling with trying to not be funny with each other on here. And Sam's like slurping coffee and we got like, like sniffling noises and like, <laughs> like spit up noises. Yeah. It's like a lot going on yeah. that Brian has to filter through. So sorry, man. Chewing my, chewing my gum chewing as his loud gum as possible. Like he tries to chew his gum up against the mic. <laughs> uh, it's, it, you know, so you've probably listened, at least struggled through some of the Michigan trip uh, podcast at this point. Apologies for the audio quality. Um, like we said, it was not with the with the good equipment. So if you can make it through that and get back to the good stuff, we're back. Not sure. Full disclosure, like we're we're completely honest on this podcast, and this this one will probably air at a later date. But Brian, you got a shout out. Now's your now's your opportunity to go ahead and get that in there. Yeah, I wanted to uh, give a shout out to a loyal listener, my mom. Mom. Hey, mom. Uh, so I'll have to issue a confession here on air Uh-oh. that yesterday I thought was November 7th, when uh-huh. in fact it was 8th. November 8th, right? which is, in fact, my mother's birthday. You missed it. And I did not call her. Oh, man. And I hope that this, all in, been there. this act of contrition in some way, this public shaming, in some way makes up for that. So, I- Mom, I love you very much. Thank you for listening. And I'll, I'll call you after we're done recording here. That was sweet. That was, that was sweet. So happy birthday to Mrs. I don't know even how to refer to her. Miss King. Miss King. King. Mama King. Okay. Yeah. Mama King. Happy birthday. What's her first name? Diane. I prefer Miss Diane. What's her phone number? No. I'm just <laughs> 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 we were getting. We were asking a lot of questions. Almost so. gave it out. Almost lost it. For a <laughs> oh no! Happy birthday. Speaking uh, of shout outs and yeah, no, feedback, way to go, man. Mm, nice. Like um, that was good. Our last episode that we did, again, we don't know when this is going to come out, but we had two people write in about our smoke pole episode saying that one was Jake Murdoch and the other was Kurt Port. Yeah, over at the called. Rowdy Huntsman podcast. Yeah. All us podcasters, we, we, we have a group and we get together. It's <laughs> underground. And he called, you wrote down the notes of it, but uh-huh. what he said was, the like he told us about the frizzing Yep, and um, that was a. I was struggling to come up with that term, that name, that yeah. word. Mm-hmm. Um, when we we're ta- like, I was trying to come up with that word and could not get it. But yeah, he wrote in and was either so correction or we didn't explain it properly. Yeah, go ahead. So, and it's from the smoke poles episode. So on a traditional flintlock, um, he pointed out that the flintlock on most of those, the flint is located on the hammer. It's held by a little um, set screw. You know, it's clamped there on the hammer. And when you cock it, when it, when you pull the trigger and it falls down, it strikes the frizzin, which is the piece of steel that sticks up over the, over the plate where you put your powder charge mm-hmm. in. Yeah. And that piece is actually protecting the powder. So remember we did the analogy where, what if you're propping your rifle up against a tree like yeah, on the uh-huh. Patriot and yeah. where the powder fall out? So this is what prevents that from happening to some extent. Yeah. So anyways, he wrote in and, and actually attached a picture and everything. So that's great. It was a great way to be able to explain it even better. Sam and I probably should have done a better job of, of being prepared 
to <laughs> describe that in words without because we could see yeah. what we were talking about to each oh, you other. You could. I'm new to it, so but, I, I, you know that's new stuff to me. But like to describe it on air without video or visual mm-hmm. was was difficult. So thanks, Jake, for for writing in and helping us explain that better to folks who may be interested in traditional muzzleloaders. Last bit of housekeeping. Um, we had a sports member, and again, this we want you to write in if there's something that you see that you have a correction for us, or if you have a story to tell or something. Yeah, we we don't know everything. Yeah, email us for Contrary sure. To popular um, Sam at Three Rivers org or Cody same email address. Um, but yeah, we had a sports member and a friend of the podcast um, call in, or I guess he called you or texted yeah, you. Yeah, well, both. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, Go yeah. ahead, tell the story. Yeah, so we've talked about Matt before. Um, he uh, he was hunting SAP program, um, new property in Moore County. Yeah, Moore County. He's been had some success during turkey season down there. He's getting intimate with that property, and he had. Listened. Oh, oh, can I interrupt yeah, you real quick? Sure. Um, if you want to hear more from Matt, if you're not a land trust member yet, become a land trust member. Mm-hmm. And what comes there to drink? What comes with a land trust member, among other things? Uh, being a land trust member is our newsletter, and we just put out a new one. And Matt has an article. And calling it newsletter is is not. It's a magazine. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's I mean it's, a it's full on. This isn't like a pamphlet. This is I mean it's got a big. We old, call it a newsletter. Uh huh. I don't like that. It's a magazine. It is a magazine. It's great. Yeah. Uh, it's beautiful. It's got a big old wood duck on the front of it. Drake wood duck. Um, but yeah. Go get a go pick up a magazine if you don't have one. If you're not a member, become a member. Email us if you want a copy of it, and we'll send you one. Yeah, he uh, had a nice article in there. Yeah, and he had a really nice article in there about hunting on SAP property and getting his first turkey. Now he got it again for the winter draw. And uh, go ahead. Yeah, so he uh, he got the same property. Um, he was hunting. I won't give it out exactly, but Moore County, one of our Moore County SAP properties. And he had listened to our fall draw podcast where we talked about Kind of the premise behind these hunts is an adventure-type hunt. You know, we're, we're preventing driving in. We're preventing, you know, folks being on top of you. All these things that we're trying to prevent, and therefore it makes it a little more difficult when you do have a harvest. But that's part of the adventure is, you know, once you get it on the ground, you know, the hunt doesn't stop till it's, you know, supper time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he, he had took that to heart. And I'm not saying we had a lot of credit in what he did. He may have been planning this all along, but he had picked him up an expandable, you know, pack specifically for packing out meat and hunting. And he harvested a buck um, with his muzzleloader. Or actually, I think it was with, maybe it was with a rifle. I don't remember. Rifle season was in. Yeah, it was, it, yeah, an Eastern season, rifle mm-hmm. season was in. So it may have been with it. Actually, it was with his rifle. He had had some difficulties with that rifle. Okay. So it was kind of a redemption deal for him with that rifle. But anyways... He harvested this buck, and what the story, what made it stand out wasn't necessarily the the harvest, as much as the fact that, you know, he he took the time to you know dress this deer in the field, and process it in the field as far as quartering it up, putting it in his game bags, strapping it into his pack, and doing a, you know, a one point seven mile, pack out job back to the truck, and then. You know, packing out the head with the antlers and everything. Is that his first pack out job? Yeah, that was his first pack out job. That's and, awesome. And so he took it home for his for his youngin to see, and you know, it's all good. It's cool. Yeah. Had he, and then he sent me pictures later. He'd fixed the heart. He had some heart for for dinner that night, a fresh heart, and and uh, even sent the recipe over. So super cool. Thanks for sending that, Matt. It was uh, it's great to hear those. Yeah, stories. if you've got stories, 
um, that you want to share with us or whatever. Yeah, especially SAP stories. Especially SAP stories. Send them over. We love yeah. hearing them. Speaking of SAP stories. Yeah. So Sam predicted that Halloween, Hunter's Moon, was going to be epic. And I was kind of on the fence about it because it was full moon. I didn't think it was going to be that good of hunting. It was opening day muzzleloader season. But it had, like, it, the temperature dropped down to, like, 30. Yeah, it, cold. it was the coldest day of the year so mm-hmm. far there. The next, like, that Monday was the coldest day yeah. of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Saturday was opening day of central muzzleloader. And, wow, was it on. Sportsman members had record harvests um, as far as numbers and quality of deer, you know, on average, that they were harvesting. I mean, a couple of hogs got shot, um, multiple eight-pointers across multiple areas. Matt's deer included in that in that bunch that day. I harvested a deer that day on public land. There were – hunting was, was very good. So, Sam, your prediction was spot on. Way to go. You should start an almanac. That was good. Yeah, against traditional wisdom. That was just kind of more of a, I felt yeah, a it gut, in the, a gut feeling. I felt it in the ether. Yeah. Well, it happened. I know. It was good. Uh, I uh, I went hunting that morning and passed on a doe and a fawn. I was thinking about you when that doe and that fawn walked by, too. Why, why were you thinking about me? Because I was thinking that you <laughs> you might have tried to double up. I know. I just might have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'd have there'd been a different story on this it wasn't. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a fawn. It was a yearling. I just, I don't know. It was early in the year, and I... But I mean, yeah, I saw I saw deer moving too. I like to eat a whole bunch. Yeah, um, I'm, I was lo- I had I had made it very clear that I was low on meat, and meat crisis was was happening. Yeah, meat crisis averted Saturday for me. Um, I also had a long pack out job. Mine was over two miles back, and uh, I told Sam if uh, Saturday was any indication of how hunting season was going to be this year, <laughs> that duck hunting was probably out for me. Because I got to the place I wanted to go, like the, the trailhead, that I wanted to go at 3.30 a.m. for a deer hunt now. Yeah. Not duck hunting, for mm-hmm. a deer hunt. And there were three trucks and six dudes already there. And I know there were six dudes there because they were all standing at the gate putting their climbers on yeah. their backs as I pulled up, putting their climbing stands on. And so I was just like, Hey guys, they're like, hey, you yeah. know, kind of like, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. I was like, well, it looks like you guys got this area covered. I'm going to go somewhere else. So I proceeded to spot B, which had two trucks at it. So I proceeded to spot C, which was like not where I wanted to go. And there was a truck there. So I was like, well, now, well, there's this other spot that I've been before once. I'll go check it out. It's not that far away. So I still got plenty of time. It's like four o'clock. Go there. You're starting to sweat though. This there's, oh yeah, I'm getting nerved up. Yeah, there's a truck at that spot. So at that point, I'm like, well, I don't know what to do. I'm too far away to avert this whole game land and mm-hmm. go somewhere else. So I wind up looking on. I mean, no kidding. Wind up looking on the map and just picking a spot that looked good topographically. Never mm-hmm. have walked in there before. And went there. There was no truck there. Parked there. Walked as far as I could possibly walk in the dark and the quiet because it was a time change too. It was. And so, yeah, I had plenty of time. And. Interestingly enough, um, well, the time change was that night, mm-hmm. so you still it was still yeah. Early. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It got dark later, or yeah, it got uh-huh. daylight later. So mm-hmm. I had a lot of time to take my time and get in quiet. Yeah, that. Well, I, I have a two. I have a couple of things to touch on. Number one, one thing that I remember from that morning from my hunt was it was really arid, still, 
it was so loud walking into where mm-hmm. I was hunting. Mm-hmm. So going in blind to a brand new spot, no. I'm sure was. Yeah, well, I didn't like it. Yeah. There's nothing I like. And then. Did you go in incognito? I went no light. Yeah. To no. a spot you've never been to. Yeah. Before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, you know, I was following the the topographic map, which mm-hmm. actually matched what I was seeing on the ground really well with the, where the ravines were versus ridges. Yeah, sure. So I was able to kind of navigate around those. But then I kind of got to the area where I had, you know, planned in my little two-minute looking at the map where I was going to go based on I figured that was would kind of funnel deer naturally. Um, and I, I, I did turn on my light because I was like, you know, I need to be able to see when I'm sitting down, I need to be able to have, you know, 50 yards that I can see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I was going to shine my light around and see if, you know, the tree I'm standing at is a good place to sit. Mm-hmm. So, and plus, I didn't know if there's anybody else in there or not, so I kind of wanted to, you know, yeah. like, let mm-hmm. it be known that, hey, I'm here, so if somebody else is here, it would be a good time to let me know. So I shine my light around. And I catch something. It's a trail camera, a freaking trail camera, two miles back on a tree on the game lands. That's a good sign. And I was like, well, somebody likes this spot. Mm-hmm. I'm going to avoid that and not get my picture taken, but I'm definitely going to hunt here because uh, nobody else is here. So I hunted there, and I wound up killing a deer within 50 yards of that dude's trail camera. He never got a picture of it, so he'll never know till he gets video of the coyote eating mm-hmm. guts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, I've got an interesting parallel to that story from Saturday and opener of duck, which was really funny that you just happened to drive by and see my car <laughs> parked. And Cody sent me a text of a video of some guy gagging, like almost throwing up. I sent him, Brian, you can maybe put this in somewhere. If you could find it, the dumb and dumber clip of where Jim Carrey sees Jeff Daniels with the gal that he likes so much like from afar and he's all dressed up in his like Richard Petty outfit with his big cowboy hat and everything. He's like throwing up. I sent him that meme. And said, when I see how many cars are at the blah, blah, blah (laughs) spot. Um, But I went in there similar to you. I feel like I've got this kind of false sense of security now because I live, I lived. Oh, you're thinking you can sleep a little longer. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I lived in Charlotte, so anywhere was so far from me that it would basically be like, oh, I'm not going to sleep tonight. I'm just going to go, which is, uh, you know, I feel like I'm healthier now, but um, I have this false sense of security that I can sleep in a little bit. So I got up at like 4 or like 3.30 or something like that, got to my spot, and there was already two or three cars already in the lot. It was also opener of duck. It was opener this past Saturday. Mm-hmm, this past Saturday, and that's what I was doing. I was I was duck hunting because I had to leave. I had it was a pretty quick hunt for me because I had to go help with your paddle, uh, Brian. So I went in there, and I'd seen the vehicle in there before, um, and I knew I know these guys. I don't know them personally, but I've seen their face. I know what they look like. And I know that they put kayaks in and float to the spot. Um, so, basically, I was like, I know where they're sitting. Because I've seen their boot tracks before and everything. And I get to the spot, which coincidentally was where I was interested in going. And they were, sure enough, in there. Now, here's, again, a tie to your story. I go into that spot incognito. Because there tends to be sometimes ducks roosted there. These guys are... How do I say it? They didn't know I was there because I'd go in with no lights. So I was probably 200 yards away, and I could hear what they were saying to each other. And they were 100 yards away from the roosting area. Um, And I could hear wood ducks squealing like it's an hour 15 before legal shooting time. These guys have just blown this whole spot up. 
and they're shining their lights around and doing like full 360s and I can hear them untangling decoys and throwing decoys out. Um, Which is normally fine, but when you're hunting a place like that where birds spend the night there, it's not not a good idea. Yeah, and I think the the third interesting tie to what you said was you were hunting a pressured area, as was I. And we both did things that I think are interesting in trying to combat the pressure because deer are still there. One, mm-hmm. the thing that you did was you went and found a drain, a tight, low spot where deer funnel. can slip without, you know, that's not maybe the pretty uplands area where somebody who doesn't yeah, necessarily. Not, not hunting under an oak tree full of acres. Exactly. Tell you that. Exactly. Hunting somewhere that's a travel corridor for a deer that may know where somebody's there. And I, what I did was I ended up taking a couple of decoys with me. I left them on the bank and I just went in there, no decoys. Cause I knew that guys around were throwing out decoys and making a bunch of noise and ducks were getting shot at. So I was going to go somewhere that was an open hole tucked in a back corner where there was no decoys. And that would draw the ducks in. Cause they're like, Oh, this is not the only place that yeah. doesn't have occupancy. Uh-huh. And it worked. And I ended up shooting a, shooting a gadwall, but these guys, man, I don't want to. I don't want to dog on them too bad. I already. Told, I mean, they they had like fifteen mallard decoys out in their spread. Um, There's and, probably never been fifteen mallards in that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, we're doing a whole lot of highballing and and stuff like that. And um, tell about the sound that he made with his. With yeah, his wood duck, anytime with his wood duck call. before I would ever see a wood duck because I was kind of like I said I was tucked into a back corner so. I was I was pretty hid uh, and couldn't see as well as them who were sitting out and just out in the wide open. Um, I would know ducks were around when I would hear what sounded like a seagull. Like I, I think he had just picked up like off of Amazon like a wood duck de- uh, call or something like that. Bill Robertson special. Yeah, and it was awful, man. It was absolutely awful. Um, poor guys. I you know I don't want to dog on them. They're out there. They're trying. I'll go ahead and but, say it. We refer to we refer to these guys. As a whole, as juniors, junior commanders, <laughs> junior duck commanders. And I don't really know where that originated from other than the show Duck Dynasty, <laughs> which I liked. Yeah. But around wow. here, around here, I haven't, I can't tell you the last time I've highballed. Um, why would you? I can't remember the last time I carried a duck call. Yeah. I mean, no kidding. Yeah. Don't use them. I've chuckled from time to time if I'm ever going to do it, if I see mallards or something, but. No, I, and and huge decoy spreads. I not know, around here. No, not around here. No. Mm-mm. Um. Anyways, man, duck hunting in the central Piedmont is uh, low on the priority list for me anymore. It's just too. There's too. There's more people than there are ducks. Hence the reason we need to conserve Alcoa. It got to. Uh, it kind of got to the point where, like, when I was thinking about the decoys, I was thinking about your brother, and what he had done at that draw hunt where he put out the or was talking about putting out the false spread the fake spread <laughs> yeah put out a spread and don't even hunt over yeah. it. go somewhere uh-huh. else yeah yep. so i dig it anyways yeah. we do that we still do that that's definitely the plan for this year's draw down there that's awesome put out a spread and then go completely opposite place from <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. leave the boat there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. oh man but yeah, I'm glad the Hunter's Moon was a good. It was a good successful SAP day for the members and for you. And um, talk a little bit about talk a little bit more about your hunt. Yeah, um, well, that hunt 
you know, it it was not a big story to tell by any means. I mean, I walked in there, sat down, saw a small, small on the ground. Hunt. Yep, sat down on the ground because it was so far, and I had already planned to hunt on the ground anyways. The place I was gonna go originally was much farther off the beaten path, and I'm sure the guys that were there did not go where I was gonna go. But to me, it wasn't worth me giving away mm-hmm. the location of where I wanted to hunt just to go there. So you had your meat pack on. I had my meat pack. First use. Yep, yep first time I've used it. How was it? It worked great. Um, I had some adjustments to make because um, I'd never used it. So I definitely had some adjust- adjustments to make. And I still have a few more. It rides a little lower than I would like it to on the on the waist. But um, overall, definitely no trouble packing out a whole deer at one time. Reusable game bags? Yeah, I, I bought some. I've always used game bags for packing out, but I've used disposables, those Alaskan brand mm-hmm. game bags. Um, like they're like cheesecloth type material. And those work fine, but it gets, you know, if you're packing out four or five deer a year, that's, that's a lot of game bags you're going through. So I bought some, first time I've ever had reusable game bags other than like using pillowcases. Mm-hmm. So these are antimicrobial. Um, breathable slash absorbent material and they worked out great i was disappointed when i got them because i ordered white like the color white and they came orange i I got blaze orange ones so i couldn't use bleach on them i have to wash them with oxy clean to get them clean but they clean up great they look brand new again i mean i washed them i had them back in my bag the next morning but yeah they worked out great keep your meat clean keep it cool Dried off quick, um, you know, and easy to pack, super small. So, yeah. yeah, I a few days later, I ended up, yeah, and I think something similar about your hunt and my hunt, your deer was right on top of you, right? Less than 10 yards. Yeah. Yep. Walked right up to me. Yeah. A few days later, with my successful muzzleloader hunt, the deer came within seven yards. Yeah. And that's all. That's a wild feeling, I like man. a close encounter. I do, too. I like a close encounter. I do, too. That's like, so to me, to antiquate that to duck hunting is when ducks land in the decoy spread that yeah. you put out. Mm-hmm. Like, you you have won. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't wind up shooting them, it's like, oh, I tricked them, you know. I, I got lucky. I was I was moving spots. I sat for like an hour and then got up. And slipped along oh, to a spot. little, little uh, steel hunting. Yeah, uh, and I was on the foot, and then heard a twig snap, and then got down on a knee, and just waited, and then heard another twig snap, and was like, "There's something big moving around." Yep. And then he come around the corner and was right there, um, walked straight to me. Let's talk about beards for a minute, and let's talk about being all the man you can be. Well, there's a little company called Wolf and Iron, and they're making beard products. Now, personally, I'm not the type of guy that puts a whole lot of product on any part of my body. But if you got a beard that you want to remain a luscious, thick mane, then you're going to need some product to keep that thing in shape. And so you should check them out. They're pretty cool. They're they're themed, and they're all themed around natural resource and historic heroes. Like, I'm, I'm running the uh, John Muir Woodsy and Calm Beard Butter and Oil Combo. It's got a really good scent to it. They've got a really good sense of humor, which guys with beards tend to have. So you should check them out. American Company. They've got a promo code for, I think, 15% off. So if you go to their website, wolfandiron.com, and enter the code CCPODCAST, all uppercase, 
Um, you can get 15% off your order, make a great gift for your hubby, a good uh, purchase for yourself, take care of yourself like we talk about on here, and uh, check them out. And they might even send you a man card whenever you order your product, which is uh, it's worth the order just to get that card in your wallet. I got a stack of them that I'm, I will give out and revoke as necessary. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It has a few uh, things just, on just, there. Just run a, run a couple of the punch list items real yeah, quick. Yeah, things that you can punch on your man card as you do them. Okay. Kick a terrorist in the throat. I've yet to check that. Grow an epic beard. Check. Kill a 12-point buck with a homemade bow. Eh. Forge a ring in Mordor. (laughs) Stop a purse snatcher. Just stuff like that. Yeah, so anyways, check them out. It's it's a good time. Wolfandiron.com. I think what we want to talk about this episode is we've done an episode in the past. I can't remember the name of it, but it was, do you remember the name of that podcast? Uh, the the processing podcast uh-huh. cleanliness yeah. was uh, akin to godliness. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a podcast about the whole process of uh, cleaning your deer, processing your own deer, um, and what we wanted to talk about today is the process of okay, you go, you pull the trigger, and then you're like, what happens now? Yeah, what's next? What's next from not processing, but from getting it out, and then breaking that breaking that deer down and then getting it chilled or whatever your your plan is and we'll tell you what what yeah. we do. And there's like three blueprints. Like there's three different blueprints that you can that that you can use for what happens next. The probably the most common blueprint I would say is drive the four wheeler to it, mm-hmm. load it up, mm-hmm. take it to the truck, mm-hmm. put it in the back of the truck and drive it to your local processor. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think that's blueprint number one for majority of the people that we encounter in North Carolina that are hunting big game. Mm-hmm. Um, blueprint number two is drive the four wheeler to it. You've got it field dressed, which is, you know, internal organs taken out, load it up, take it home, clean it at home, mm-hmm. do it at home or quarter it up and then take it to a process. Mm-hmm. Option three is, you know, you've got to drag it a long ways. You've, cleaned it yourself, you've dressed it yourself, and then you're doing the whole process at, mm-hmm. at home or in the field. And then option four would be quartering the whole thing there. In the field. In the field. Yep. Um, so you, in your situation, you quartered that deer there. So what do you carry in your bag? Yep. Um, it's, good. it's a good question. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think there's a lot of, I think we have listeners that are curious as to, especially SAP. So this may not pertain so much to your regular deer hunter that's got a lease. Mm-hmm. This is definitely going to pertain to SAP members and public land hunters. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's, some of these tips are things I hesitate to give out, but I, you know, you're going to be hunting anyways. I'd love for you to make the most out of yeah, it. Yeah, sure. So in that case, I don't mind giving it out, but in my in my bag. So when I'm planning, I plan my blueprint for how it's going to go down if I'm successful before I ever leave the house. Yeah, for sure. Like I know if I'm going to be able to get the cart to it or the four wheeler to it, or if I'm going to have to drag it or if I can, if I have to pack it, like I know the place I'm going, what type of hunt it's going to be. Mm-hmm. So for my back country, quote unquote, back country, like long ways from the rig, not allowed to drive something in there hunts. My bag consists of a frame pack, now, it's going to be either uh, external frame, expandable pack like I have now. Um, for years and years, I ran an internal frame mm-hmm. pack, basically empty, mm-hmm. um, and I was running it cheap. Um, I've got a little better stuff now. So the bag is important. It needs to be big enough 
that it can hold a whole deer once it's quartered, um, and it needs to be strong enough and and good enough that it's not going to screw your back up. Comfortable enough, yeah, sure. Um, and when I'm doing these pack out hunts, there's two ways I do it. If I'm going to be hunting out of a tree with my climber, I don't carry the bag in with me when I'm going hunting. Yeah, I carry my climber in. If I'm successful, I carry the climber out, grab the bag, and go back. Mm-hmm. But preferably, I like to do those backcountry hunts on the ground, have the bag with me, and hunt on the ground, and only have to make one trip home mm-hmm. or one trip to the truck. Mm-hmm. So in the bag contains my game bags, which we talked about earlier. I've got a little mini – it's actually, I'll tell you what it is. It's a, it's a changing pad for changing diapers. Um, this is something I got out of a diaper bag um, when Boone was little. He, uh, the, the diaper bag, anybody that's got kids, you know what I'm talking about. It's a little, like, 36-inch by 15-inch slick, like, vinyl padded sheet mm-hmm. that you can roll up super tight. So that's in there. The game bags are in there. I've got my Wyoming saw, which is a, it's just a fold-up hacksaw, basically. Mm-hmm. You can yeah. have any kind, but that's what I've got. Then I've got in my pocket all the time. I've got my knife, mm-hmm. so those are the items that I've got. And in my bag, I've also got some paracord. Now I was I'll about you, to say, I'll yeah. tell you what the paracord's for. Do you have to have it? No. Is it super handy? Yes. Um. So in this situation, if you got a ziplock, I can usually carry a few ziplocks. Yeah. Too. With this, with this particular deer, did you dress it on the ground, or did you use oh, yeah. that paracord on the ground? On the ground. Oh, so yeah. you never, you never use that paracord to. You know, and nope. bring a gambrel or something like that. Didn't hoist it. Hoist I never it. do. I never hoist my the animals I dress in the field. Uh-huh. They're never hung. I dress them on the on the ground, and the way I do it is, and there you can watch these backcountry hunting shows, and the, you, you'll get an idea of how it's done. But so I start on one side. Mm-hmm. I take one whole side. I op- you know, it's gutted. Mm-hmm. You know, field dressed. So internal organs are out. The center of the body cavity is split all the way up. So we'll talk. Let me talk about that real quick. Yep. So when you're when you're starting that process to get the, which is, I mean, in our um, cleanliness is akin to godliness. You know, that was one of your talking points is get those out. Mm-hmm. You know, real quick. Um, that is a leading cause of the potential for spoilage and stuff like that. So, um, do you make your cut below the sternum and work? Down towards, nope. so what you start kind of near the start at the genitalia, genitalia, and mm-hmm. whether it's male or female, the genitalia gets trimmed where it's hanging away yeah. without puncturing the urethra yeah. or the bladder. Yeah, that's still attached, mm-hmm. but that's I, I literally skin that back first before making an incision into the abdomen. The first incision that I make is around the anus. Uh, anus. Yeah, um, and that way it's just separate and it's you know, it just opens up a hole because that. Anus is just a, it's just a tube. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you make that cut, really the thing that's holding it is the skin around the outside. And when that's cut, then it can all, it's a part of that digestive tract. It can all pull out yeah, when you open up the The where ab- to start, abdomen. like literally the where to start is the hardest part. Like yeah. you can, you mm-hmm. don't have to start it there. You don't have yeah. to start it where I started. Mm-hmm. You can literally start by puncturing the, the abdomen. Yeah. Um, right below, I kind of start below the sternum and make a horizontal cut and just barely deep enough that I can get a knife. I love a zipper. Mm-hmm. I love like a hook uh-huh. style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are handy if you've got them. That's definitely uh, definitely a handy thing to have. I I'm just using a regular pocket knife and your fingers and my yeah. fingers. Mm-hmm. Um, my knife's sharp enough that I don't have to actually stick my blade in. Sure, I actually run it along the outside and it just shaves right. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, 
yeah, that, that's that's my process. And then all that stuff comes out. You, you, like Sam said, you don't want to get any of the, you know, any of those parts touching your meat. Mm-hmm. So he's making that incision in the back there and, and, and pulling everything out through the body cavity and then bringing it all out as one piece. Sure. Which mm-hmm. is pretty much exactly how I'm trying to do it. The last thing that's attached when I do it is the genitalia. Yeah. And so that comes out through the rectum. Yeah. And, you know, I know this is like a gruesome podcast. Yeah, but, sure. But this is like, if you want to know where your food comes from, this is how it happens. Mm-hmm. Even when you're buying hamburger at the store, this is happening. I promise. Yeah, and if you if you do this process, deers down, despite, except for where the bullet entered and it exited that animal, if you do this right, let's say you shot the deer, again, gruesome podcast, but for the purpose of describing this, if you shot that deer in the head, um, you could do this internal organ getting the guts out without really having any blood. Not really, yeah. Um, Not on lot. you. It could, you could clean that whole thing out. So you make that incision and... What you're going to see when you start making that cut and you're splitting that hide kind of like um, Cody talked about down the abdomen to towards the genitalia and you're opening it up is you're going to get the hide off and then there's going to be a layer of fat and this thin kind of like, I, I don't know, this this layer, you're, you're going to have to get through that without puncturing the stomach. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of a process of being very careful and lifting that skin up. But once you get it, and you make that first incision, you'll kind of see it start to split open, and you'll see very clean, not bloody internal organs as you're peeling it back. But you just got to make sure that you're cutting that thin layer, that hide layer, that thin kind of, I don't even know how to describe yeah, it's just that. the membrane there membrane. Between, the, mm-hmm. between the meat and the hide. Yeah. So mm-hmm. just, it's, it shows you, when you're peeling that hide back, it shows you where to cut. Yeah, it does. Because... The connection there is where you cut. Mm-hmm. It's almost kind of foamy looking. Mm-hmm. Um, but you peel that back, and when I'm doing mine on the ground, so once everything's out, I roll it on one side, and I'm peeling back on the other side. So if I'm starting on the right side of the animal, it's laying on its left side. And I will start at the back, you know, split up the leg, mm-hmm. get all the way to the before, end. Before we it. go there, um, while we're talking guts, and for somebody that's, Somebody that's new still to talking guts. Yeah, I'm still talking guts. For somebody that's new to it, it's very easy to get to that point. And obviously, like everything we said, you know, you can go on YouTube and watch this stuff, but it's very easy if you're a new hunter to make those first incisions and then get a little bit panicky and be like, I don't really know what's right next. Be take your time. You make that incision like Cody talked about. Start opening things up, and then there's gonna be a membrane layer that's holding those guts to the backside yeah. of the deer as well so you're just kind of slowly you can reach in there another thing that i carry i don't know if you said it in your uh pack or not you may have i might have not been listening gloves well i should yeah i, I have gloves in mine did i have gloves mm-hmm. the past couple no yeah well i i carry a pair of gloves in mine um if you're squeamish you should definitely carry gloves it's yeah. gonna like mm-hmm. make you more apt to get into it yeah sure but you can just you can really those all those inter- internal organs are connected you can really lift them and move them carefully without yep. without using worrying gravity about it. like that's something i like uh-huh. so i use gravity to my advantage even when i'm cleaning on the ground and you're going to always feel dress on the ground yeah. pretty much mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. um i turn my deer where the head is uphill just mm-hmm. like if I was camping. Yeah. And that way everything's coming out the back. Now, granted, you got a little bit of a problem there because if you have already skinned too much away from the meat on your hams, you're going to have some contact. Yeah. And that's going to create some bacteria issues. Mm-hmm. So I try to skin nothing away. Yeah. Until everything's out. Yeah. And so 
Yeah, and I bring it all, you know, vertically along with the deer there. Mm-hmm. And it, gravity kind of helps it all fall out. And then the diaphragm at the back of the rib cage is holding, you know, your intestines away from your vital organs. Yeah, and that's a good part. When I was talking about that membrane, so you're going to be trimming that membrane that's under really the digestive tract, under the stomach, under the intestines, all that and Part stuff. of that's the call fat, mm-hmm. which is something yeah. you can save if you want to and use it to, you know, wrap meatballs or whatever. Exactly. And then you're going to get to the diaphragm. And like you said, you're going to start trimming that away as well. It's just another thin membrane. And that's where your heart and those vitals and stuff are up above that membrane up in the rib yep. cage. Heart, lung, spleen, yep. uh, liver, all that's going to be. So spleen, liver are going to be towards the back of the diaphragm. Mm-hmm. Heart and lung is going to be forward in the chest cavity. Yep. But that, you know, it's not a lot of knife work. It's actually a little bit like muscle work. Yeah. Like once you trim the diaphragm out of the way, you know, your guts are already, your intestines are already kind of hanging out. You've trimmed that away where you can get your hand in there. Just reach up in there, get a hold of the heart, and give it a yank. Do you trim, do you trim or cut through the diaphragm or through the chest plate as well, kind of in between the brisket, the, the brisket area? Do you trim and, and use so, your knife to split yeah. that open? Yeah, and I can use my knife to split it. Do you have to? Yeah. No, I do because I'm saving the ribs anyway. Yeah, sure. Um but uh, you don't have to split that, or if your knife's not sharp enough, or if you're, and that's a good way, to, the easiest way to get cut cleaning a deer yeah. is splitting that brisket with a, uh-huh. with a knife, yeah, because those bones are sharp. Uh huh. They are sharp, and they're and the, you know it's tough, but like I said, if you start where Cody starts, where I start, that's going to be below the diaphragm, and you're going to have the the intestinal area open. And then if you so choose, if you don't want to, you can reach up underneath the ribs. Sorry, I just slapped the mic. You can reach up under the ribs and pull those organs out. If you'd rather have more room to work, you can take that knife, turn it upwards, and gently just work through that brisket area between the ribs. And it's it's like a tough cartilage, and you can yeah. kind of split it open. And you can, and there's going to be a little knife work as you're kind of reaching there and pulling. You're just going to have to feel because you can't like look up in there and yeah. see it. Uh-huh. But I'm serious. Like If you just reach up in there, feel the heart, yep. Like you're going to find it. On yeah. a deer, it's, it's substantial. Mm-hmm. And you just start pulling towards you. And, and then it's it, all going to just come out. Yep. And then at some point, you've already made that cut around the anus. So that will pull out. You can reach up once you've got the heart and those vitals pulled back. And you'll reach up as far as you can and cut the esophagus. And now you've got, if you were to grab the whole system, you would have the you could have the esophagus in one hand. And you could reach back and get the anus. And yep. it's all one continuous. Yep. And that's the, that's uh-huh. the, that's the ideal scenario. That's yep. a long shot deer. Mm-hmm. Um, what's going to happen now? There's a lot of other things that can happen that makes it harder. Like mm-hmm. if you have a hit that you know hits some intestine or whatever, or you make a bad cut, mm-hmm. which is going to happen. You yeah, might sure. puncture that. You may puncture the actual abdomen, which mm-hmm. is it's not the end of the world, but it is cause for concern. Like I watched Sam teach a uh, a guy how to clean a deer, how to field dress a deer last year um, as a deer he had shot. Sportsman member, we went out to help him retrieve it. And he already, you know, had it up to the road. We helped him get it back to his truck. And before we did that, you know, it was kind of warm that day. And, you know, we're probably like, yeah, he said he was going to, I think he was going to process it himself maybe, or maybe he was going to take it somewhere. Either way. We wanted to get the guts out. It needed to have, you know, it needed to be dressed. And so Sam taught him how to, how to dress this deer and, you know, the rookie mistake, he, he punctured the abdomen, which not Sam, the guy, Mm -hmm. because, you know, Sam wasn't doing it for him because he's not going to learn if Sam did it for him. Now, did we eventually jump in there and give him a hand? Yes. But, you know, the abdomen got punctured, and then that was like a, you know, the the hunter himself was like, oh, oh, no, you know, maybe I've screwed up everything. Sam's like, no, 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 just hold on. And he got in there, and, you know, 
he did his best to keep that from spilling out. So the abdomen contains everything that the deer's eating, right? It's usually a green one. Stomach, yeah. Mm-hmm. Stomach contents. Mm-hmm. Well, is it bad? No. That stuff that's eaten is not bad. But the bacteria in their stomach that breaks all that down is what can be bad. Mm-hmm. So ideally, you just you know pinch that hole shut, keep pulling, and get that away from the meat. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Sam did. So you're going to, if you do that, or if you've shot one that way, just get it away from the meat as quick as possible. Wipe it down with a, you know, whatever you've and got. And when you get it back to some place, rinse, rinse it. Yeah. And it's, you know, it is what it is. It's not, it's the meat's going to be fine. And here's a hot tip. So salt is a bacterial inhibitor. Mm-hmm. So it stops bacteria from feeding mm-hmm. basically. Cause you know, a bacteria is a one celled organism. Yeah. And when it gets in contact with salt, you know, it goes into a dormant state. It doesn't die, but it goes dormant. So if you've done that, you can always sprinkle salt onto your meat, like as you're aging it or whatever, in those areas where you're nervous about it, or if it's got like really bloodshot meat or something, sprinkle some salt on there. That'll yeah. keep it from getting tainted. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on. Now, yeah, I'm done with guts. Entrals, okay, we're good on guts. Yeah. We're good on guts. Yeah. <laughs> Entrals are, are out. Yeah. Um, so, and I know that was tough to listen to, but, you know, it's, it's, it's part of it. So once that's out, you know, for you, you like the single tree, a gambrel, stringing them up. Yeah, I actually just bought a. Do root. you do you dress them on the ground and then string them up, or are you? This this year I did not. So you strung it up. I took the guts out. It. I took the guts out. Uh, field dress. I mean, I took the guts out hanging. Which okay. I was I was pretty stoked about it. it something I was new um, that I was trying this year. But Hang it by the back legs. Or the I head? did. Okay. By the back legs, and it's re- it's really the same process. Yeah. It's uh it's not difficult. Um, gravity's not working with you necessarily in that situation. With the back legs hanging. With the back yep. legs hanging, but you do when you cut open that brisket. But you get a cleaner. Yeah. I feel like you get a cleaner removal when they're hanging by the back legs. Yeah, and so what I what I did this year, which I'm, I'm kind of excited about, it's a little bit of extra weight, but I bought a little pulley system. It's fairly, it's fairly it was 20 bucks, um, but it's got a locking mechanism. I've done it in the past where I've taken a gambrel, and I've taken a rope, and I found a low branch, and I tie a rock to the rope, throw it over, tie my gamble up. But if you're a single guy and you shoot a big deer, good luck trying to lift that hoist deer. That lift I mean, that deer over it's that tough leg. enough to hoist it on the tailgate. Exactly. So this pulley system was really cheap, and it's got a locking mechanism. So all you have to do is you can take your rope. You know how your pulley works. You rope it through, hang it on a branch or something, and then you can lift it all yourself. I really like it. It's something that I'm going to start carrying on all that's interesting. Trip. I didn't know you were doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but the process in terms of guts is the exact same, except it's just not on the ground. And uh, when you cut that brisket open, you're trimming back, and then eventually you can just kind of pull that, that rib cage apart and make that esophagus cut, and then the, all the guts yep. are just going to spill out, and, and then you're working with, with just meat from that point on. So next is hide. Yeah, skinning. So, and... You can. This is the same whether it's hanging or whether it's on the ground mm-hmm. for the most part. Mm-hmm. If it's hanging, here's the main difference. If it's hanging, you go ahead and take all the skin off before you do any any quartering, any meat removal. Yeah. Um, when it's on the ground, you cannot do that because if you take the whole hide off, then all your meat's laying in the leaves yeah. or in the dirt. Mm-hmm. That's bad. Yeah. So the hide is your protective. That's your that's your blanket that mm-hmm. you're laying everything because it's clean. It's sanitary. Yeah. Um, so I I skin off one side. And I have it laid out. You know, the meat's kind of sticking up, and mm-hmm. it's laid out. It's still attached to the other side of the deer. Then I remove ham, back strap, inside loin, shoulder, 
neck roast. So when you say you remove it, you go probably right around the knee on the hind leg. You make a circular cut all the You joint. make a circular cut around the joints of mm-hmm. both of all four legs, and then you're on the inside of the thigh, on the inside of the ham, and on the inside of the shank. You're making a cut that follows down to yeah, right at the joint. So it'd be the armpit of the yeah. deer, mm-hmm. cutting in the armpit of the deer and the shoulder. There's really nothing there that's holding it together but cartilage. Yeah. Um, there's not a ball and socket joint there. Yeah. So you're just cutting that away. It comes off. It's the easiest thing you've ever done. Yeah. But just to skin to skin it back, you're making that you're making that cut yeah. around just the unzipping, joint. Unzipping down his sleeve, basically. Exactly. And, you know, tying that connection in with the incision I made up the center of the belly and sternum yep. to remove the intestines to begin mm-hmm. with. Yeah. So it's it's basically four cuts, you yep. know. And it, it's shaped like a uh it'll be a H. Basically, yeah, uh-huh. shaped like an H, or if if you're looking a sideways at, H, yeah, if you're looking at an I, a capital yep. I. Yeah, there of. you go, mm-hmm. there you go. So, anyways, unzip that, cut around it, trim the skin back, then I cut at the ball and socket joint for the ham, cut at the you know the cartilage and the armpit away, remove those. What do I do with those? I'm on the ground. That's what that little baby pad that I told you about is for. That I've got that that diaper changing pad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I lay it on that. Till I can get all my pieces of that side removed, then if I've got a tree, if I've got a convenient tree hanging close by, I hang that meat out of the tree to dry and air out and cool down and get some air temperature on it because it's it's going to be a whopping ninety nine degrees when you pull it off of there. If yeah. it's a fresh killed deer, mm-hmm. it's going to be ninety nine degrees inside there. So the faster you can get air to it, the better. Mm-hmm. Unless it's summertime and then you need to go straight into or like early bow season, not summer, but I consider September summer yeah. here. But if it's bow season, you need to get that joker into a game bag pronto, like right then. But I usually wait and let it dry out a little bit so I'm not getting so much blood on my game bag. Because where your blood's coming from, when you cut those ball and socket joints away, you're also cutting femoral artery right mm-hmm. there. And so that's going to – there's going to be some blood come out. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, same process on the other side. You just uh, I, So here's where my saw is for. I remove the rib cage. So I split the rib cage up the center, like you talked about, and I go along the backbone and I take that side of the rib cage off and hang that up. Then I roll it over and I repeat the process on that mm-hmm. side. And the whole time I'm doing it, so and then I want you to tell about hanging it and doing it that way. But when I'm like these deer this year, I've uh, I'm trying to use as much of the deer as possible. And this year I actually I didn't take a picture of it, I should have, but the first deer I shot I looked at the pile of like what you would consider the waste pile or what's going to the scavengers and predators in the woods. It was very tiny this year for me. It That's was awesome. it was literally the spinal cord and what was left of the skull after I removed the antlers and the lower half of the legs and the yeah from the knee to the hoof. Mm-hmm. And I honestly considered taking the the and the organs yeah yeah and the, and the intestines. That was my pile. Um, and I considered taking the hooves. And making a gun rack or something out of it, but I was having to pack this thing. I was yeah. like, that's just too much. Yeah. But that was all that was left because I took the hide, and that's what I wanted to touch on was I took the hide with me, and I actually took as much of the fat off of the deer as I can. Now, deer tallow is not worth anything for eating, but uh, it's it's good for other stuff. And so I took all that with me too. But the hide, I'm I'm, I'm going to use that to make a make a buckskin blanket, you know, and you know, and maybe, the way you're doing it, you're, you know, you're using that hide as a blanket. Yeah, I was using it as a blanket for my meat. As a tarp. So, you know, that cuts 
really, it's, I mean, I saw the cut that you made and the hide that you had. It's beautiful. Yeah, it looks great. If done, if done right, you know, that hide is going to, if you're cleaning it on the ground the right way, you're going to have a beautiful, you know, like beautiful a rug. rug. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you can do that, and, and that's something you can do. Um, and it's just another, you know, thing you can use off your animal to pay homage to it and have a little token of memorabilia that you're not eating, mm-hmm. you know. So anyways, that's what I did. You take the antlers? Took the antlers. Oh, of course. You yeah. cut off the skull plate? Or yeah, this deer was not a European. It was not a European mount deer for me. Um, so I, that's the other thing I used my saw for. Was I sawed the antlers off? Um, I just saw the. I just. I didn't even saw the saw the skull plate off. You saw each individual horn off. Yeah, I I took the skull plate off. I mean, it's a it's a decoration for the shop. Yeah, you know, whatever. Hang something on, make a hanger out of it. So, um, process pretty similar for me. If it's hanging, uh, you hang it up. I make those cuts around the joints. Uh, One thing that we didn't really talk about was removing the lower half of the leg. So from the joint to the hoof. you bend that knee, um, that joint backwards, so that they're flush up against each other, uh-huh. and then you make a cut right on the outside of edge the elbow. Of yep. the elbow, like if you're touching the pointy part of your elbow, you make a cut right there, and it splits that joint open, and then you can work it and give it a little bit of leverage, and it'll crack and pop, and you can kind of saw around and cut the sinew, and then that. So it's all you don't need a saw or anything yep. to do that. If you're into going ultra backwoods, ultra mm-hmm. far back, lightweight, all you need, all you need is a pocket knife. Yeah, that's all you need to break mm-hmm. down a deer from standing up to in the bag. Yeah. So I make those cuts around the joints. I make the capital top and bottom of the eye connecting to the cut on the sternum that where I took the guts out, and then you're just kind of peeling and working. Um, make sure if it's hanging. That you don't cut the Achilles because you're making a cut. That's a, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Talk about that. Talk okay. about how you're hanging the deer. Yeah. To begin with. What you're doing first, once you've got the guts out, is you're making a cut right above that knee joint. Grab your Achilles tendon yeah. on your leg or uh-huh. when you're playing with, when you got your dog laying on the lap, uh-huh. grab their back leg and feel around back there. Yeah. There's like a handle. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> like on the thigh meat though, like right, right here. Yeah. It runs all the way up. But uh-huh. if you're feeling down. Yeah. By your foot, right behind your ankle, mm-hmm. there's like that little handle back there. Yeah, where you get, and it's kind of got that thin spot behind mm-hmm. it. So you make an incision there and an incision on the other side, yep. and then that's kind of like your opening, and you can slide it in. You can slide the gamble. It's like which, a how-to for a serial. It's killer. like a, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like a, um, it's like a, a gamble. If you don't know what it is, it's just like a clothes hanger. Gambrel, single tree, yeah. they've got a lot of names, but it's the thing that you stick in those two spots. But if you're looking, if you're imagining a if you're imagining a clothes hanger, the only difference really is that one, this thing's obviously strong metal. It's made out of steel. Yeah. And then <laughs> uh two at the end, so on the corners, Dude, right thing. and left corners. Go ahead. Interruption. That's a great like uh shirt commercial. Like if somebody was in the market for selling uh Long sleeve flannel shirts, mm-hmm. like they could have them hanging on steel gambrels. Oh yeah, it'd be like, yeah, our shirts need these because they're that awesome. Instead of like a crappy plastic. I dig <laughs> it. Anyways, continue. That was yeah. left field. Yeah. So at the corners, the right and left corners of the clothes hanger, quote, um, you've got hooks, and those hooks, those kind of like hooks, you put in through that cut by the Achilles, and then it's going to hold that deer in place. Uh, if you accidentally, as you're going around that joint and you're peeling the hide back, cut the Achilles, that's the only thing that's got that handle together. So you've, you're kind of screwed 
Because then it's, it's going to fall. It's going to fall. It's going to drop off. So just you have to carefully work the hide around that. But once you get around that spot, it's it's pretty easy working. Uh, here's a hot tip. If it's hanging or if it's not hanging, what you can do is you're going to be slowly working and there's going to be the meat, visible meat, and then there's going to be the hide that you're pulling back and then you're going to be working that seam between the meat and there's going to be like kind of just connective tissue and sinew and stuff that you're cutting back as you're going along membrane. Um, you can go through periodically and make a cut in the hide if you're not keeping your hide. Yeah. If you're keeping your hide, you, you, you know, don't, don't want any holes. Don't in want it. any holes in it. If you're not keeping your hide, you can make a cut in there and create a handle, and then pull with that cut through the hide, mm-hmm. and it, it makes pulling the hide away from the meat easier. If you do it, sometimes you can just put your weight into it with a handle like that and just pull, and it's going to peel back. But sometimes. Yep. You, you know, you're going to have to do a little knife work. And there's a lot of tricks like sticking a rock in the hide or a golf mm-hmm. ball and then yeah. tying a loop around that. Mm-hmm. And there's all these little things. Yeah. But I'm, there's this big, like, save all you can mm-hmm. off the deer movement. Like, mm-hmm. And everybody's, like, eating organs. Mm-hmm. And everybody's still tossing their hide away. Yeah. And I, I, I just don't get it. Yeah. You know. You're going to get – you're going to get the – you're going to start when you're working that hide back with the hind legs and you're going to get to the – base of the tail and then you're going to have to cut through the base of the tail um which is kind of bone yeah you just find the joint just find, the, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, exactly you find the joint where the tail meets the body and you'll work that and it'll pop right off and then you're kind of you've got that tail is kind of a handle yeah that that's point. a great handle yeah mm-hmm. and you grab that tail and you just pull put your weight into it and it's going to peel off the uh off the meat there and then you're just going to work it off and then what i do is i'll get it i'll get that hide all the way off and then i'm going to take off the shanks, the front legs first, and then I'll go through and I'll get the back straps. I like to take the shanks off first because then it exposes, you know, when you get this scapula away, mm-hmm. it exposes more of the back strap and lets you get in there a little mm-hmm. bit deeper and uh, get all that back strap meat, which is, you know, running from the hind leg to the scapula basically underneath so then i'll take that next if you do a really good cleaning job on the inside and it's very nice and clean and not a lot of blood and stuff um don't forget about the inner loins on the inside of the body cavity uh that's that's high quality meat there and then i'll take one leg off the gambrel and work that off and then you're gonna have one leg hanging again that's got if you've gone to this point, you've got the spinal canal, you've got the ribs. You can take the ribs off. I didn't take the ribs off this deer. Um, it's okay. No, yeah. most ribs, most deer ribs get left in the woods, and I yeah. don't take all of them. Yeah, because they're they're really hard to deal with, and they're not that much reward. Yeah, but a lot of trimming, a lot of fat trimming, and tallow trimming and stuff. I I will this year. I will take some ribs, just not this one. But yeah, what you're gonna have hanging left once you've taken the shank off is you're gonna have the head. You're gonna have the spinal cord the spine you're gonna have the ribs and then you'll take the you know hind legs off one at a time and then the whole body's gonna fall away and that's it you've got a gut pile you've got the spinal cord and the exoskeleton and um yeah the difference between our endoskeleton not exoskeleton. hanging versus cleaning on the ground is as sam's kind of starting at the the forward end of the deer mm-hmm. when he's removing meat so when you're on the ground you kind of got to start the opposite you want to start at the the back you want to get the most meat away before it touches the ground mm-hmm. and go the other way and preference wise so we broke down the two ways of cleaning a big game animal yourself in the field preference wise or you know if, even if you get it back you can still do it either way you can do that on the tailgate or hang it up at mm-hmm. your house 
Um, I prefer the hanging method by far. You can get cleaner cuts. You're going to do a better job because your back's not hurting from being bent over the whole time. Mm -hmm. Um, You can see what you're doing better, and everything's up off the ground, elevated, and the whole time it's getting air circulation and cooling down. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not being insulated by the ground and and the, the topsoil. And the leaves. so And there's less likelihood for dirt to come into contact. So preference-wise, you should all, if you can, always opt for the hanging method. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anyone's ever said, well, I'd rather clean it laying here. Like, Here's another great thing about the hanging method. If it's hanging, um, you can, if you're going to take the carcass to the dump, you can put a trash can up under the deer as you're cutting the guts, and as you make that final cut, they're going to just drop straight into the bag. Yeah, wash tub, yeah, garbage wa- can. whatever it is. Yeah, big garbage can, obviously. Um, if you have a berry pile or somewhere like that, you can just put a tarp under it, and then when you make that final cut with the guts, they're going to fall onto that tarp, and you can slide it away and move it a little bit. And then when you make that final cut, cutting the last ham off, the skeleton, the rest of the remains, the you know, whatever is going to fall onto that pot. Yeah, so and you then, can do this and even you if you live in, you can do this even living in town. Like I yeah. lived in the middle of town mm-hmm. in Albemarle and I cleaned countless deer. And you can have minimal house, mess too. At my yeah. house and it mm-hmm. was completely fine. Mm-hmm. Like nobody ever like freaked out on me. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of deer in the yard. Yeah. And I liked, ha- I liked being the, the like country guy on the block. Yeah. You sure. know, <laughs> everybody was curious what I was up to. But, All right. Last thing is whether you're packing it out or you're doing it at your house, um, and this is something that we talked about in that in that um, cleanliness is akin to godliness episode. But you, I'm, I've gotten better about this because you told me to get better about this. But have your coolers ready when you're going on a hunt and you're like, I'm going to succeed today. Do you already have ice? Well, I keep I keep some like a bag and a half of ice in the freezer, mm-hmm. um, just ready for whatever. Mm-hmm. But no. I didn't have ice for this. I didn't pre-chill coolers or anything uh-huh. like that. Now, will I have ice on hand the remainder of the season? 100% because yeah. I had to get the first one out of the way Yeah, to you know get that stockpile up. But, yeah. yes, I will have ice now, but, no, I didn't have it then. Mm-hmm. Is it a good idea? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So have your, you know, that's one thing if you don't have it. That's a necessity um, is, you know, you don't want to shoot that deer and then be like, oh, where am I going to put this meat? You need to have coolers and you need to have big enough coolers and enough coolers that and know i can fit a whole deer in these coolers that i have uh and then what you do what you taught me to do is no meat touches other meat so i had 12 bags yep. i got 12 bags that's, ice that's pretty poor eight's about all eight's the minimum yeah and i put down a layer of ice in the cooler ham layer of ice where it's completely covered other ham um, and you know you're going to go through, and it's it takes up a lot of and space. You can fit it in there, kind of puzzle yeah. like. Mm-hmm. Like I'm using a 120 quart. I yeah. can fit I can fit two deer in a 120 quart cooler. Yeah. Um, but you're like puzzling it in there, where the ham's going to lay one way, and then it's going to like puzzle piece of shoulder in. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. You know, and then a layer of ice, and you just go up like that. But how many days? I like a week. I like seven days. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for a wet agent. So, and we what? haven't really ever got into this really. So. You're going to hear and see all these like celebrities or different hunting folks talk about different ways to do this. But I'm going to tell you, we're in the South here and you don't have a ton of options on how you can age your deer. Like unless you have a walk-in cooler or access to one, hanging your deer in, in the South um, is typically not going to work out. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, yeah, if we're if you're gonna have a week of below forty degrees, which in November anymore is not common. Yeah. Especially like this week it's gonna be up in the eighties, you yeah. know. So hanging your deer outside is just not gonna work. And you wonder how did the you know, Native Americans do that or the early mountain men in North Carolina? Salt. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they had a lot of meat go bad. Mm-hmm. Um, ice is what you got to do. Or you can age it in the fridge if you've got a completely empty fridge. And that's, that's similarly the exact same thing as hanging it. Mm-hmm. But I like wet aging. I think it. I think the five to seven days is, I think you get as good of a product out of five to seven days of ice and changing out ice as you do of a week and a half to two weeks of hanging. Mm-hmm. And you don't lose as much meat. Because when you hang a deer or air cool and age a deer in a fridge, you get this rind mm-hmm. built up on the outside where the meat gets hard. Mm-hmm. All that, when you go to make steaks and make your cuts and your grind, that all gets trimmed away and tossed. Yeah. Um, or used as, like, trapping bait or something. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not eating that rind because it's hard as a brick. Um, you don't have that rind with wet aging. Um, now... You got to be on it. You got to change ice. You can't. Yeah, just, that's the big thing. You can't just have Sam's pre-packaged cooler and put your deer in there and package it nice and then Open go, it back, up seven go back days and later. Yeah. go back and check it next Saturday. Yeah, that's not going to work. You're going to have a you're going to have a ruined deer. Yeah, more than likely. Drain the water, yeah. and then probably once every what what I did, what you got me sixty degrees doing. outside and below is is what you're about to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, but I go in and. Odds are I'm going to buy another 12 bags of ice and I'm going to take all that meat out at some point and I'm going to change it. Cause I mean, you're going to have it melting away. It's hot right now. It's going to be melting away. You're going to have to redo it. And you know, it's very easy to just pour more ice on top, but at some point that ice between the layers in between meat is going to melt away. And then you're going to have meat touching meat, meat touching meat. So, um, you know, after 48 hours, 72 hours, whatever, get in there, pull everything out. Make sure it looks good and start fresh again. You can reuse some of that ice, but uh, you're going to need some more and make sure that you pack it up nice again. And then, you know. Yeah, I can't really. I mean, if we've ever told anything that's like imperative to quality control on this podcast before, this is it. When it comes to in the South, you can't pay attention to what everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. You got to do it the way it's done in the South Mm -hmm. because of our temperature, because of our humid climate. What Sam said with changing out the ice, if you're going, which most hunters in the South that are doing their own meat are using wet aging as, mm-hmm. their, as their style of keeping things cold. Um, if you're not doing this process, you're going to have an inferior product. Mm-hmm. You, you are. Um, and, and then cool, cooler storage, like having it sitting directly on the ground where it's going to stay cool and having it somewhere in the shade, shade. all yep. day long. Yep. Like it doesn't need to ever get direct sunlight. Here's one that I did. I slid concrete a, pads are good. Yeah, I slid a two by four through the handle that sticks up over the top of the cooler and locked it in because you're going to have it outside. And the last thing you want is some raccoon coming over there and yeah. lifting the lid of it and getting into that cooler. So that's Cement something block on top of something. That's uh, something you got to think about for sure because, mm-hmm. you know, that's going to, it's going to smell amazing to something that wants to get in there. So. That could be in your neighborhood. That could be out in the country. That could be anywhere. Something's going to try to get in that cooler. That's hundred percent so. right. So yeah, that's. I think that, that that process getting once you've got your deer down, like, don't dread. I don't think you should ever dread harvesting a deer 
because of all the work that it entails. I mean, if you're taking it to a processor, I mean, you're dreading paying the processor 150 mm-hmm. bucks. Um, don't dread that either. But like this process should be part of the fun. Like take pride in, you know, doing these steps and producing a product that when you have people over or at Christmas and you give out, you know, snack sticks and jerky, like you know that that's the best possible product they could hold in their hand. Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing will be better than when you took the time and did it this way. There is nothing better. Yeah, I ate, um, I ate heart this year. I had heart last night. That's yeah, you tell me. You, you tell me that you liked it really good. I did like it a lot. It's you liked uh, the texture uh, similar to duck breast. Yeah. So I had the gadwall from when I hunted on Saturday. I had I'd twenty four hour or twenty four day hour old meat backstrap. I cut a piece off the backstrap and then I cut the heart. And with the heart, um, I trimmed off like your your arteries and the fat off the top, split it open, um, cleaned it all out. There's like the spider web material almost on the inside, like these tendons that connect it all, trimmed all that out. And it ended up, it's it's an odd um, looking meat, like uh, not spongy, but really dense. Um, and it tasted like backstrap, but it the consistency was like duck. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a little bit more spongy and stuff, but I really did like it. I've, I've, that's a first for me. Um, preparing my own heart and, and cooking it. Um, I got the grill screaming hot. I didn't put the lid on, and I just let it cook one side for eight minutes, flipped it, cooked it for five, got the internal temp to 130, and pulled it off. Seasonings? Um, salt and pepper. Oh, no, no, no. Excuse me. For the heart, I uh, I marinated it for they, you can marinate it for a full day. You can marinate it for 30 minutes. I did like two hours, but I put a little Worcestershire, uh, a little bit of olive oil, and then salt and pepper. Yeah, really so what's your basic statement. Yeah, what, what much, yeah. Um, but just a little something. Um, backstrap, I just, 30 minutes before I cooked, I just cut a piece off and threw that on there. But, um, yeah, I think if you overcook it from what I've read and heard, it's kind of it can go from delicious to gray. Real oh, yeah. quick, so um, 130, same as the backstrap, and it was it was good. It's worth. I think it's worth saving. Well, see, that's just another like getting all you can get out of. It was worth your, saving. Oh, 100 percent. Out of, your, out of it's your, delicious. Your harvest. It's just like with this, the deer hide thing. Like that's another thing you can save. And between heart and ribs and deer hide and neck roast, like that's a lot of stuff that you can get. Now, I'm gonna go tell you straight up. I'm never gonna save the tongue out of my deer. Mm-hmm. It's not. I've tried it. Don't care for it. Don't care to serve it to anybody that I have over. Um, it's just not for me. Um, yeah. Uh, ben came over to drop off a pair of waders that I lent him yesterday and had a piece of heart. And uh, he said, you know how steak or backstrap has those kind of like lines in it, um, the grain uh-huh, of the meat? Uh-huh. He's like, this This heart's weird because it has no grain. Yeah. And uh-huh, like there's zero good. and there's zero pin it like when I talked about the marinade and just dipping it in the marinade for a few hours because it's so dense because there's no grains um, I feel like there's like zero penetration you would have oh, to really? you would have to marinate it for a long time uh, probably a full 24 hours to get it to penetrate all the way through I feel like that would make it more spongy but it's know. dense I don't know well it's, it's interesting that's a, that's a good analogy you can't decide which way to cut it because it's got no grain yeah. you know, typically you're cutting against <laughs> yeah. the grain. Not with the grain for steak, so that's that's interesting. But I think that 
gets you to, I think that should get you to, from the point where you've pulled the trigger and recovered your animal, to the cooler. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, hopefully we broke that down well enough that, you know, someone could listen to this, you know, rewind back and listen to the part where we're talking about where to make cuts and, you know, kind of the steps and, and get that done, whether they're hanging it or whether it's on the ground and they couldn't get it out. If you, uh, this is another episode where if you're somebody like Jake or, or Kirk and you have a special way of doing it and it's something that we don't do and you want to share it with us, you can email us a handy trick and we could bring it up if we like it. Well, that's opening up a can of worms. Yeah, I know. There's a, a million so, ways. So, to yeah, so that's the mm-hmm. thing. Like the way Sam and I, and that's not the way Sam and I both do it every single time, all the time. No. I, I've, I do different things at different times. It depends on the situation and yeah. what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely don't prefer to clean one on the ground. That's like the last resort for me. Yeah, for sure. But, um, yeah, there's good, There's a million ways to do it. Like our way is not the only way, the ways we talked about. Now, when it comes to the ice and the deer thing, to me, that is the only way. If you're if you're, you know, stuck like everybody else with having to do it on a cooler, that's the way. Um, if you got a walk-in cooler, you know, give me a call. I'd love to hang some deer in there. Yeah, but now it's time to go get your own, and hopefully this will get you get you ready to process. Your yeah, own a lot meat. of you already got your own, and yeah. you're already past this step, and you're probably waiting on a step on grinding and and talking about cutting steaks and. But you know what? It's a long season and. If you're if this is your food for the year, um, you're gonna have more. You're gonna have more than just that first deer or that second deer. So here's a hot question: yeah. How many pounds of edible meat do you get out of a hundred pound deer? How many pounds of edible meat do you get? Uh, if I was to try to maximize, if you were getting everything you, could if get. I was trying to get everything that I could get, to what is what you should be doing? Sixty, sixty pounds. Really? 50? That's what you're thinking. I'm thinking on a hundred pound deer, a thirty five pounds of edible meat is like. A good job. I don't know, man. In the end. Well, I'll tell you this. So I just finished processing a deer that I uh-huh. got every single thing I could get. Minus are you one. including Are you including bone? No. Like when you're, okay, so you're, you're, you're talking about pulling like. Boneless meat. Okay, edible. Boneless, what you're going to consume. What you're going to consume. Okay, yeah. I'm uh, talking about, I'm talking about like taking the hands off. You've got everything bone in still and you're putting it down. Yeah. But yeah, once you trim those, once you trim that bone out and all that. Yeah. yeah. And I'm even accounting for the weight of the rib bones. Because I left yeah, them for sure. bone in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thirty five. I was talking pounds. about I was talking about when you packed out when you packed out that deer. Oh, the weight I carried on the my back. You carried yeah, it was fifty seven. It was yeah, fifty seven exactly. pounds. What I carried mm-hmm. on my back was fifty seven yeah. pounds. So by mm-hmm. the time it went to my freezer, there's thirty there's actually exactly thirty two pounds of edible meat. Yeah. And that's with cutting it with fat. Um, so that's cutting in domestic fat into it. Yeah. I, I cut in three pounds. Well, actually four pounds of fat. So, anyways, that's a whole other story for another podcast. But ten percent, yeah, exactly. You're not getting as like that's why it behooves you, <laughs> behooves you, to get as much into it, to get as much out of it as you can, because in the end, you don't want to end up with a little bitty pile. Yeah, for all that work, you want yep. to end up with enough that's going to last you a month or two. Mm-hmm. And you add that fat to give it a little bit of stick. Everything mm-hmm. add fat because it's good. Yeah, I think it's a really important conversation to have. Uh, it, this is actually really timely because last night I was talking to a guy. He was an aspiring new hunter, and his family is from up north, and he was explaining he wanted to be a hunter to them, and uh, they were kind of taken aback. And I mean, they're all meat eaters, but they just didn't like, you know, the, the specifics of processing a deer and things like that is kind of abhorrent to them. Mm-hmm. For me, this is, it is, working the deer is as fun, and well, I wouldn't say fun, but it's, it is very important to me. It's Rewarding. as important to me as the hunt. 
Now, do I like working other people's deer? Not really. It doesn't mean the same to me. But working my deer up, like it's it's like a, I don't know, it's like a spiritual ritual almost. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the guts and things, and like the blood and guts, and it, it is difficult to discuss or listen to to some degree, but it's the reality of it. And it's what humans have been doing for our entire existence up until about the past 150 years when it hasn't been super necessary for people to be as involved in that process. Yeah, and, and so that's like, a short, that's a blink in yeah. the span of time. Yeah, like historically, we're off the mark a little bit. Uh-huh. Like we wouldn't have these right here, and I'm pointing to my canine teeth. <laughs> like we have those for a reason, and it's, it's not for eating plants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think discussing the reality of it and the specifics of it is super important just because regardless of whether or not we see it and how much work we put into being removed from that process, it still has to go on for us to have meat on the table. Yeah, you can believe that it doesn't exist and go have a hamburger at Wendy's, and you can pretend like somebody didn't remove the anus from that animal, but <laughs> by gosh, yeah. you better hope they did. Yeah, They may not have if you're eating at Wendy's. I'll That's be true. honest. That's true. Hey, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> so just say Wendy's not a sponsor. Not a sponsor. Um, I've got something to add. Not are you still on? I honey? got one thing that Go I ahead. I got one thing that I really want to add. He was talking about being from up north. So mm-hmm. this is a Mason Dixon division right here. You ready for this mm-hmm. Mason Dixon Mason Dixon line division thing? Mm-hmm. You can tell where someone grew up hunting and processing meat based on how they hang their deer. Head up, up above north of the Mason Dixon, they're hanging it by the head. I know some folks from South Carolina who hang from the head. But did they always hang from the head, or did they? wind up hunting somewhere with somebody from up north and didn't. I don't know. See, most I would say that eighty five to ninety percent of people south of the Mason Dixon hang by the Achilles tendons and head down. And north of that line, they hang by the head noose style. Mm-hmm. Which in theory is a cleaner way to do it. And a lot of your cuts are going to be with the grain of the hair. So you're going to prevent hair going onto the meat a little better. So I, I get the process. Personally, I find it a bit disrespectful, so I don't do it. <laughs> that's, I mean, yeah, just, that's, that's me. So I hang it, you know, by the Achilles tendon like a southern boy should. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so that, that was something I wanted to point out. What were you going to point out? I was going to point out, as we close this thing down, again, we would love for you to be a member of the Land Trust. We talked about the Sportsman Access Program and how hot it is right now and how great things are going. Um, if you're looking for a place to get your own meat, that's a good place to start. Um, Bless your me last week on my draw. We're always building it up. I had a bad hunt last week, but it wasn't because the sportsman program isn't great. It was because I'm poor, poor hunter. That's not true. Vegetarian, old Indian word for <laughs> he who hunts poorly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, become a member. Uh, if you like what we do, we just got a new batch or, or – about to have a new batch of land trust hats. Um, I'm on my third, and you're on your third, third Richardson land trust hat, like trucker style hat. I like them a whole lot. Yeah, they're good um, hats. It's got a we got a new color. We've had like this tan with a dark logo, like a brown logo on it, and I think we now have like a dark green. Yeah, it's reversed. It's uh, uh, it's still brown. We didn't the green it's ones brown. Were out. Okay, yeah. so it's brown. It's the mesh color is now on the front. Okay, and the the fabric color is now on the back. I dig it. So it's the opposite of what we had. Yeah. But we, uh, I burned through them. I see them a lot. I see a lot of people wearing them now. Yeah, if you look up uh, YouTube, Brian's running the, running the uh, Land Trust, Three Rivers Land Trust 
YouTube channel. There's links on our website. Like, you can go to our website and see all our stuff. But you look at a lot of those folks. They're running. Uh, you look at Grayson. He's looking sharp in his Three Rivers hat. I've worn I've worn my Three Rivers hat. Like, in a calendar year, I probably wear it 280 days. I wear it a lot. Fair. So, anyways, they're cool. Go pick one up. Become a sports member. Support the land trust so that we can keep doing this and conserving the land and if you're hunting on public lands on on Alcoa or or uh, wherever IKEA IKEA <laughs> on Alcoa if you're hunting uh, at IKEA if you're hunting at IKEA don't stop <laughs> if you're hunting at Alcoa uh, wonder what we had of... we had a part to do with that so um, you know say thank you by supporting us financially if you're hunting at IKEA <laughs> <laughs> scavenging meatballs yeah. oh. if you're like us you're riding down the road listening to the podcast on your commute. When you get to where you're going, don't forget. Like us on Facebook. Check us out at our website, threeriverslandtrust.org. There you can find out about all the events we're putting on, all the conservation work we're doing, how you can get involved, and how you can help. We'd love to meet like-minded individuals and get you involved in conservation. Till next time.